Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad to have you for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today, and we'll get to those in just a second. First, a quick note that uh, similar to last year, and this was not coordinated, Jim and I will be going on vacation again uh, at the same time, completely different places. Um, but uh, we are both going to be gone starting tomorrow for a number of days, and then Jim will be back before I will. But we're going to have a number of special episodes coming up. Tomorrow we're going to take our current look at the 2024 presidential race from the Democratic primary, Republican primary, and uh, likely general election matchups. Uh, next week, we're going to have a couple of episodes where we answer your questions, always some of our favorite episodes. We'll also have a 4th of July special. So, Jim, uh, hopefully both of us can concentrate on the news of the day as we figure out what to pack and what not to forget as we head off to various destinations. But let's start with the biggest news of the day. And whenever you're in late June, you know you're going to get some big Supreme Court decisions. Tomorrow is the final day of the session. But today we got the much-anticipated ruling on affirmative action. Uh, USA Today with uh, this particular version of the story. Six to three decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts when it comes to race-conscious admissions policies used by Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Six to three in the North Carolina case, six to two in the Harvard case because uh, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson recused herself in that one. Chief Justice John Roberts writing the majority opinion, quote, we have time and time again forcefully rejected the notion that government actors may intentionally allocate preference to those, quote, who have little in common with one another but the color of their skin. The entire point of the Equal Protection Clause is that treating someone differently because of their skin color is not treating them differently because they are from a city or from a suburb or because they play the violin poorly or well. Roberts wrote that both programs lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives. Uh, he did, however, say that uh, while it can't be a uh, specific policy now, he says that, uh, as all parties agree, nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. In other words evaluating someone on a person-by-person basis, which I think we're all pretty much fine with. Justice Sonia Sotomayor writing in the dissent, saying the decision rolled back, quote, decades of precedent and momentous progress. She says the decision cements a superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. So, Jim, obviously she sees the nation a lot differently than we do. Are there still race issues to deal with? Yes. Are we endemically segregated? I would strongly disagree with that. I think the court got this one right. Greg, I, I began thinking about when I had this conversation. It dawned on me, it was 20 years ago. I remember having a discussion with a group of uh, friends, uh, saw, you know, 
probably about half of whom were Democrats. And one of them was the office manager for a Democratic senator. And we're talking about this. So this person was in charge of pretty much all the hiring and firing uh, within that Democratic senator's office. And this person described an extensive system in which the race of every single applicant to the job had to be recorded. They were very strongly discouraged to have anyone not to answer their race uh, because that was the there was a possibility that would louse up their ability to see the numbers, see the figures, and make sure that they had a certain number of people from each ethnic group and each race uh, applying and that a certain number of each race was being accepted and that they had to be within certain parameters. Otherwise, there was a perception that the office was, was racist. And this person who had, you know, I would argue didn't have a racist bone in their body, wanted to have a diverse office, but also really hated that ultimately when push came to shove, everybody was basically a color, that that was the criteria that mattered. Um, and that if you happened to have a selection of people and it ended up with too much of this group, too much of that group, because of the state that this senator was in, you end up having an enormous amount of Native Americans applying. You were going to end up with, you know, and so, you know, Native Americans that were only X percent of the country and X percent of the state, there was a chance you'd end up having a significantly more Native Americans on the staff of the Senate office. And this person just hated it. This person said this is all this, whatever, whatever affirmative action had begun with and whatever the intention was, it had created a system in which when you walk through the door to apply for a job, the it's not the only thing they saw was color, but a huge portion of what determined whether you were getting the job or not was color. Otherwise, the office had to explain why you had too much of this group and too much of that group. And I remember saying, like, look, I'm a right of center guy. I'm a conservative. I've been arguing against affirmative action for a very long time. You, the Democrats, have to do something like this because when I do it, I'm racist. When I do it, I'm a white guy. Everybody's just going to assume the very worst motivations. All of these other people, if you think affirmative action is bad, you have to make that argument because that diffuses this. Well, the only people who oppose affirmative action are white racists. I also want to take you back to 2008. Then Senator Barack Obama running for office, and he's talking to a group of minority uh, journalists, and he the issue of affirmative action came up. And Obama, at least for a short time, was offering a very different perspective than a lot of people were used to, and maybe they were expecting from an African-American senator. Quote, we have to think about affirmative action and craft it in such a way where some of our children who are advantaged, when he says our, I assume he means African-Americans, aren't getting more favorable treatment than a poor white kid who has struggled more. He pointed to his daughters. At that point, you know, Malia and Sasha were 10 and 7. They've had a pretty good deal in life. They should not have benefit from affirmative action when they apply to college, particularly if they're competing for admission with poor white students. I think a lot of people heard about Barack Obama shifting affirmative action from being race-based to class-based, or maybe a portrait of something that looks at the amount of uh, obstacles and challenges that someone has had to overcome in life. Uh, broken home, uh, poverty, uh, all kinds of things where if, if you've had a you know, handicap, right, something where like, you've had to, some real difficult ordeal and you've managed to overcome that, maybe that's somebody who deserves to get an opportunity more than someone else, right? We'll, we'll give it to that, that situation. That's perfectly fine. Um, Obama made these comments, Greg, and then he went into office and all of it disappeared. And there was absolutely no reform of affirmative action programs whatsoever. It stayed in place, status quo continued. One of the many ways in which I think, you know, I, I certainly would argue, and I think a lot of folks on the right would argue, Barack Obama was sold to the country in a very different way than he actually governed. So here we are. That's, you know, that's 15 years ago. We've been having these arguments for a very, very long time. And I, as I said, I think there are people who are open to trying to give opportunities to those who are less fortunate 
separate from race, regardless of race, no matter what color of the skin is. There are a lot of poor kids in Appalachia who don't have a lot of advantages coming up. The notion of white privilege is kind of a joke to somebody who grows up in a uh, you know, dirt poor farming situation. There are African-Americans and uh, Latinos and every other group who are wealthy, who grow up with advantages, who grow up in the best neighborhoods, go to the best schools, go to private schools. Do they need a leg up? Has, has racism been that bad? Affirmative action works when you have a society that has really ideally only two groups. And one group is clearly the overclass, clearly has all the advantages. And one group clearly has the underclasses, all the advantages. And if you want to argue that, you know, America still has different classes of people, sure. But it's not clearly done on lines of race anymore. It's, it's much murkier. It's much more complicated. And oh, by the way, a big portion of it is that a whole bunch of people are biracial. Are they part of the oppressor class or are they part of the oppressed class? Affirmative action is a model and a system that doesn't fit the diversity of America anymore. And the reason this case came forward is because so many Asian Americans were getting screwed over by this system. Yeah. There are a whole bunch of people who can't see it that way because they're so locked into that old way of thinking. Uh, ironically, they're the ones who are, are can't adjust to changing times and want to stick to the past. Now, I'm glad you brought up the Asian students because they have been... Uh left off of uh, not only Harvard and, and other uh, prestigious institutions uh, because of affirmative action policies. For some reason, it didn't apply uh, to Asian students, but uh, many of them obviously achieved very highly. We saw it locally with one of the premier high schools in the country, Thomas Jefferson Science and Tech, and they changed the standards for admissions there. Uh, and so, yeah, this talk from Sotomayor that we're an endemically segregated society I guess she doesn't mean Asians uh, because they don't uh, seem to fit the narrative there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the Roberts caveat there is fine. I remember at college, you know, meeting fascinating people from all different parts of the country with different backgrounds, and you get deeper into the conversations and you find out, you know, their high school GPA was fine, but it wasn't spectacular. Uh, but the fact that they have this kind of experience and they've they, they've done this and that, it helps to kind of build a, a campus where you, you meet a lot of interesting people. Does that mean somebody with a higher GPA probably didn't get in? Maybe. Uh, but evaluating applicants on a case-by-case basis as opposed to a blanket standard simply based on race or, or anything else is, uh, I think, a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. I think Roberts not only got the ruling right, but I think he got the right argument in making the ruling right. Indeed, Greg, and just kind of maybe one last point to, to wrap a bow on this. Have you noticed that the, the argument from colleges and universities was, look, we have to do this for the diversity of our student body. We have to do this so that we have not just, you know, rich, privileged kids, but we have a wide variety of people with all kinds of experiences. We can't just have a certain group that automatically gets in uh, just because of their family name or family wealth or something like that. And then you turn around and say, OK, um, could you guys get rid of legacy admissions? <laughs> They're like, no, no, oh my God, are you kidding me? That's what, what are you trying to destroy the institution? You know, people who, these people, those students have something very special. Parents who came here and already paid the tuition. Yes, and donate frequently and in large amounts. That's all about the endowment. So yeah, exactly right. And uh, it's also, again, the kind of the soft bigotry of low expectations where the implication uh, is that, well, if we don't help you, if we don't put a thumb on the scale, you're not capable of doing this on your own. Horsepucky, as you like to say, Jim, uh, there's a plenty of highly achieving, highly motivated students of all races, religions, and classes who can uh, uh, add a lot to campuses, employment, or however far-reaching this decision will go. 
All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini. And for two guys about to travel, uh, this is a, a little bit ominous, although we're going by car. I'm not sure what the Garrities are doing. But this is from the uh, Free Beacon. Air travelers across the country faced hundreds of flight cancellations Wednesday, spelling trouble for the record number of people traveling this Independence Day weekend. East Coast thunderstorms and continued FAA operational troubles caused 3,000 flights to be delayed and more than 800 cancellations on Wednesday alone, according to FlightAware. The FAA predicts that Thursday will be the busiest travel day with more than 52,500 total flights. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has blamed continued flight disruptions on the airlines, claiming they schedule more flights than their staffs can handle. But airlines shoot back, blaming Buttigieg's FAA for staffing shortages that have made them unable to handle the high number of flights, according to the Associated Press. Quote, we estimate that over 150,000 customers on United alone were impacted this weekend because of FAA staffing issues and their ability to manage traffic. Uh, that's from United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby. So, uh, Jim, it's a back and forth here, but uh, yet another issue where Mayor Pete, now Secretary Pete, doesn't seem to be very visible on the issue and he doesn't seem to be solving much. Oh, actually, he was visible on this issue, Greg. I think it was back uh, late fall 2022 when he said don't worry uh the airlines and the department of transportation are working on this and i think you'll see some real improvements around the uh christmas holiday uh flying season of course that was the worst ever that's when southwest had its total shutdown that's where you had all kinds of people sleeping in airports and things were terrible the garrity family is driving this particular coming trip but we're you know got a couple of flights coming up this summer my colleague noah rothman had this cover piece on the war on things that work i know okay we had this big disruption because of the pandemic, like air travel virtually stopped. And I realized that airlines, you know, they, they, they were they didn't have any income coming in. So they had to uh, furlough people. They definitely got a whole bunch of, you know, uh, PPP loans and things like that. But they basically, you know, apparently the plan was we're going to purchase early retirement. We're going to buy out a bunch of pilots and we're going to send them home. We're going to send more more jets to the boneyard, et cetera. You kinda, and you're kind of left wondering. What was the long-term plan? I mean, or, or was there expectation that COVID was just going to last forever and they'd never have flying planes again? Because I think even at the worst of it, we knew it was going to take a year. Maybe some people thought a year and a half, two years. But at some point, vaccines were going to come down the pike and life was going to get back to normal. And it sounds like a lot of airlines took a lot of very short-sighted decisions to really cut down on the amount of available uh, pilots they have. And you assume they make similar reductions in you know flight attendants and mechanics and all the other support staff that they have. 
and you'd be kind of left scratching your head like well what do you what do you think things are going to be even if you think oh we'll, we'll just have to deal with it when there's a uh, all that revenge tourism in late 2021 and into 2022 it's now summer 2023 right we've had you know we're now coming up on three years um you'd think that the airlines would have figured out okay there's a lot more people flying out there we got to staff back up again we got to get our, our fleet back up again and it does not appear to have uh, have happened or at least we end up having all kinds of you know uh, domino effect delays throughout all of these airports. Um, and I'm kind of just bath. Also, I assume some listeners out there have tried taking flights. Remember the days of e-savers? Remember you get this email and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I can fly to, you know, this fairly distant city somewhere in the U.S. for like 85 bucks for last minute tickets and all that kind of stuff. Boy, those days are long gone. But, I, you know, trying to find flights for an upcoming uh, business trip, I had a hard time finding a flight out of the D.C. area less than 400 bucks. And you see you've been able to find it for 100 150 200 so we're paying way more the airlines are jammed why do the airlines say they don't have enough money to like if we're paying so much more why are they having such a hard time hiring people and staffing back up and getting back to pre-pandemic numbers it's utterly baffling you can't convince me that pete Buttigieg is doing it's all the airlines fault and all of the they're just the airlines are just making up the pro the stories of problems of air traffic control and that the nation's air travel system and everything the FAA that does with airlines is just doing hunky-dory, 100%, as good as it can get. And it's just in everything else, the ports, the trucks, the trains, everything else Buttigieg is screwing up. But don't worry, he's got the airlines just fine. This does seem like a guy who, you know, in that job because he ran for president, is most interested in running for president, does all kinds of events that sound like a, camp a presidential campaign by a secretary of transportation and a guy whose primary focus is running for president. And he only intermittently pays attention to his day job of trying to keep the, you know, literally trying to keep the trains running on time. Jim, I, I have never personally met her. Uh, your colleague, Catherine Lopez, she was recently stuck in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I think for three days <laughs> trying to get out. And that's a regional airport. Not as many options to get out as if you're in a hub or something. Uh, but to watch one of the nicest people on Twitter and probably in life when you we read her feed uh, get increasingly frustrated and despondent about trying to get out of town, uh, it really shows uh, some of the issues that are out there. And so she did finally get home, which is good. Uh, but uh, this is an issue that is not going to get better. And the worse uh, people's experiences are, uh, the more trouble airlines and perhaps Pete Buttigieg will be in. Greg, what, seeing over social media, Catherine Lopez desperately trying to get out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. By the way, that doesn't speak much of Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> or, or maybe it's so great you just can't bring yourself to leave. No, you're just not allowed to leave. It's Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. Uh, it was the worst ordeal of any good, faithful, personal inspiration to me, Christian. It, you know, being going through a form of metaphorical purgatory since Tim Tebow was quarterback of the New York Jets. <laughs> I will defend Grand Rapids. I love Grand Rapids. and But uh, she was literally at the point where she was trying to figure out where the Rapids were uh, in Grand Rapids. Mm. So she was running out of stuff to do between uh, scheduled flights that kept getting canceled. Also, you can't get out of town rapidly. <laughs> it's apparently not, at least not, at least not in air travel. All right, let's talk about another terrific sponsor, but it's a very sobering one, and that's the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, this is the movie starring Jim Caviezel, Mira Sorvino, and the focus is human trafficking. It opens next week. More than 2 million kids are trafficked around the world every year, so make sure you learn more about the whole thing with Sound of Freedom. With each day, it gets closer. Sound of Freedom will be theatrically released in the United States on July 4th, 2023 can purchase tickets online now and new theaters are added daily so check the website for current information you can use the hashtag 2 million for 2 million 
Remember, this film explores the themes of human trafficking, bravery, and justice. By supporting this movie, you contribute to raising awareness and propelling a movement to save millions of children around the world. Help spread this message worldwide. Sound of Freedom is coming to theaters July 4th, so buy your tickets today to reserve a spot opening week. If more theaters get sold out, it will help raise more awareness of this issue that often goes unnoticed. To find a theater near you, visit angel.com slash freedom. By supporting Sound of Freedom, you're going to contribute in raising awareness and propelling a movement to save millions of children around the world. Get those tickets today at angel.com slash freedom. That's angel.com slash freedom. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And tomorrow is the final day at the Supreme Court. We're expected to get the student loan decision. And most uh, people uh, expect the Supreme Court to say, no, Joe Biden, you do not have the power to unilaterally forgive student loan debt. If you want to do something like that, you're going to need actual legislation from Congress. So we'll see if that's actually the case. If it is, I'm a little bit sad that we're not going to be around tomorrow to celebrate that decision because it was such a gross uh, abuse of the president's power. I'm sure uh, if that is the ruling, uh, your colleague Charlie Cook will somewhere be holding a party. I've never seen him more angry about an issue than when Biden did that. But nonetheless, Biden administration officials are still trying to... Uh, Make things a little bit easier on people who owe uh, on their student loans. Uh, you might remember that part of the debt ceiling deal was uh, that they actually have to start paying them again this fall. But the Biden administration trying to uh, soften the blow, I guess, a little bit. Uh, Politico, Michael Stratford with the story. Biden administration officials are devising plans to ease the sting of requiring tens of millions of Americans to resume paying their student loans this fall for the first time in more than three years. The Education Department in recent weeks finalized a three-month grace period for missed payments once student loans come due in October and directed loan services to be prepared to extend that flexibility for subsequent 90-day periods. That according to two people familiar with the discussions. Once interest accrual resumes on September 1st under the department's current plans, it would continue to pile up even if borrowers miss payments. The policy now, which has been dubbed internally as a safety net period, would prevent borrowers who fall behind on payments from getting dinged on their credit report well into 2024, likely beyond the presidential election. It would also prevent severely delinquent borrowers from suffering the consequences of a default until 2025 at the earliest. So, Jim, we have uh, talked about this a lot in terms of uh, Biden's decision there. Also, it's been more than three years you should have been able to save a little bit of money that would have gone to those payments to resume the payments. What's your take here? Well, as you mentioned, you know, past the presidential election, 
that's really near the end of 2024. It's not the beginning part of the year, right? So you're looking at really, uh, you know, it's not even November this year. It's about another year, you know, almost a year and a half. As you said, it's been three and a half years. So you add that up, that's a five-year break in having to pay back these student loans. I want listeners who have, you know, if you have student loans, you know, you've been, maybe you've been enjoying this, but imagine, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there who have mortgages. Imagine if somebody said, you know what, you don't have to pay your mortgage for the next five years, just the three, next three and a half years. Just imagine what that would be to your life. Imagine, imagine the enormous difference. They said, oh, no interest, no penalty, nothing wrong. We just have decided, we've the government, we've stepped in. We don't think you should have to pay your mortgage for the next three and a half years. God, how much money would you save? How much money would you invest? How much more money would you have in your pocket, right? You know, how many different things could you do? Buy a new car, or any home repairs you wanted to do? Maybe you want to do a home, you know, expansion or, or put on an addition. Oh, okay, man, it'd be a ton of money. But nobody does that for you. Imagine if the car company said, or, or the bank said, yeah, you don't have to make any car payments for the next three and a half years. Ah, think about a break. You know, how, how much different that would that be? Your credit card company, any, any, anything else, anything you usually pay on a monthly basis because you've already collected what you were spending all that money for. And you say, you know what? Yeah, just three and a half years, you got it off. It could be utterly transformative. But you don't get it for that. Student loans, on the other hand, nope, we've decided you don't have to pay them back. And at this point, clearly the Biden administration will drag its feet, even though this is part of the debt ceiling deal, right? I mean, Kevin McCarthy should be screaming bloody murder over this saying, hey, wait a second. We had a deal here. Now you're changing the deal, right? Throw every monkey wrench into the Biden administration's efforts that you can if they're, if they're going to pull a stunt like this. At this point, it's only on, the, only on the drawing board. But, you know, certainly knowing the Biden administration, there's little reason to think they won't try to push this through. It just is a demonstration that there is a governing class that has decided, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to make you pay back this this thing because we've decided it's good for you. It's good for the country that you don't pay back your loans. You know, the entire discussion about uh, higher education is maddening because it basically says, yeah, we're going to make the taxpayers pay for this. We're going to make the taxpayers. They aren't going to get that money paid back that the U.S. government officially you know, loaned out. Um, we're not going to punish the universities for not giving people quality educations. So we're not going to punish you know, the education system for any of this. I, I had a corner post yesterday because there's this, there are memes floating around that argue that things, you know, things were really much more affordable back in 1980. By the way, it's a really bad year to pick because of the uh, <laughs> exceptionally high inflation of that era and of course, the exceptionally high mortgage rates and the high unemployment, the misery index. If you're an older listener, chances are you're having traumatic flashbacks right about now. Uh, but I wrote this whole corner post saying that, like, well, life in 1980 was better in some ways. It was worse in other ways. We, we should try to th think of these things accurately and not believe that everybody was living on easy street back in 1980. Uh, and when you compare, you know, home costs now to home costs then, well, homes are, are bigger now. You look at car costs. Cars are a lot better now than they were back in 1980. Grocery bill costs. Look, we eat more. You see it in the obesity rates, right? You know, so there's all kinds of different ways which life has changed from a generation or two ago. Uh, but Greg, I think you're considering your age and my age. 1980 is a generation ago, right? I say a generation's about 20 to 25 years because that you know used to be how long you'd have to live till you start the next generation till the ne that generation has kids. I realize that's extending now, so maybe it's somewhere in the 30 range. So 43 years is a little more than one generation to me, but I get your point. Okay, because my thought had been there are roughly three generations in a century, so roughly 33. I really like to think of it as one generation ago, Greg, because <laughs> yes. it makes me feel less old. Right. That's that's the single most important thing. If you played with tra with Transformers, you and I are the same generation. Therefore, it's only a generation because we have kids. And our <laughs> kids have kids, then it's two generations. Anyway, point being that 43 years ago, it was not life on easy street. You're also making a lot less. Even when you adjust all these numbers for inflation, I'm not going to say it was. It was you know everybody has it easy today, 
I'm not going to say that everybody has it much harder either today. I think you know, there's there's imperfect comparisons. Certain prices of certain things like uh, televisions, consumer electronics, computers, all that stuff's gone gone down. But indisputably, we have a housing shortage in this country, particularly in certain parts around the the biggest cities and coasts and stuff. And the cost of housing gets higher. The cost of the average car is fifty thousand dollars. I guess the median price. But you can find a car for you know in the in the twenty thousand range. Although it's certainly going up there. Used used car prices jumped up. All that chip shortage stuff. But anyway, the thing I was going with all this is that as you want to look at what's really gotten expensive compared to a generation or a generation and a half ago, it's higher education. And somehow the universities and colleges never get blamed for this, right? You hear about you know evil, malevolent, greedy corporations left and right. You never hear anybody talking about greedy university administrators who just assume that their student base and the families that pay for the tuition can afford to pay way higher than the rate of inflation year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. So that's where we are. The The day began with kicking around universities, Greg, and I think it's appropriate we should close <laughs> our podcast with kicking around universities some more. Perfect symmetry. Perfect symmetry. Well done. I think we stayed on uh, topic pretty well today, given the fact that we're about to hit the road. So, Jim, have a fantastic vacation, and I will uh, officially see you tomorrow for our uh, special on the uh, current state of the presidential race. But in reality, I'll see you next month. Looking forward to it, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Always a huge help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.